Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade as we return to our regularly scheduled programming for the week. Last week was a bit of a fluke. I, I think I just came up against that that wall that you sometimes hit when you're working on a project for a while and uh, eventually you run into writer's block or you run into something that just doesn't let you continue. And uh, But everything is uh, back to normal this week as far as I can tell so far so we should have a full week every day we'll have a daily decade and uh and onward and upward we go uh, i checked the email this morning but i did not check it this afternoon so if you sent something to me in the course of the day uh, i'll check out those intentions this evening when i go to post the show and uh, i'll make sure that they uh, get the attention that they need when we record the show tomorrow or when I record the show tomorrow. I'm so used to saying we because we got different people working on the Telegram channel and the website and everything. Uh, <laughs> you get into the habit of, of doing it, but it's not the royal we. It's just me doing the recording on the phone in the car. Uh, and I will attend to those uh, tomorrow when I see them. Uh, if you want to write in an intention in the meantime, uh, if you haven't written one in, if you have an intention, something that you really would like some prayers for or need some prayers for, I encourage you to take advantage of my audience here and everybody who is eager to pray for you and to uh, ask God to enter, to help you out. Uh, God, we're told again and again, deeply desires for us to pray to him because when we pray to him asking for his help, that's a recognition on our part that he is the only one that can help us. I, I know I've said this before, but uh, as they say on, on another podcast, it could, it's always somebody's first show. It could always be somebody's first show. So uh, I encourage you to, to write in your intentions, however great or small they are, even if it's just a quick little note to requests at protonmail.com. That's decade, D-E-C-A-D-E, requests in the plural at protonmail.com. And uh, I will be more than happy to put my audience to work praying on your behalf and, uh, and working to, to please God by going to Him for help. And the same is true of the saints, too. Feel to the saints that's a recognition of their sanctity and glorifies God because it recognizes that what they did was glorifying to God, was pleasing to God, and, uh, and therefore gives Him glory through them. Um... Uh, I have seen, there's something I wanted to remark upon before we got into the prayers and into the uh, reflection, and that's uh, one of the Telegram channels that we have recommended in the past uh, suggested recently the adoption of a special fasting uh, discipline that's adopted from the Chaldean Catholic Church, apparently starting on the 25th, there's a three-day fast that is very similar to the Eastern fast. If you're familiar at all with the Orthodox fasting regulations, they have, I say regulations, they, they don't like to think of them that way. But if you're familiar with the Eastern practice, put it that way, of abstention from meat and dairy, that includes eggs, uh, oil and wine, uh, and that's, there's some variation there as to what they mean by oil and what they mean by wine, but that's the kind of fasting, it's mostly abstention that takes place in the East 
during Lent and fast and all of their fasting periods. It's not just meat. It's all meat. Uh, it's eggs, dairy of all kinds, as well as oil and wine. So it's much more abstention, much less fasting in the way that we do in the West regulate the amount that we take in. Well, the Chaldean Catholics, which are, if I'm not mistaken, and someone can correct me on this, they are formerly members of the Nestorian heretics that belong to the, I think it's the Assyrian Church of the East, is what they call themselves. Well, the Chaldeans are those that have reunited themselves to Rome uh, from the Assyrian Church of the East. And they have a practice, starting on the 25th, which is today, and over the next three days they have a strict fast uh, and an abstention from all things uh, that are covered by the Eastern fast. I'm not entirely sure of the provenance of it, but it's been recommended as a discipline by one of the channels that we follow. And while on the face of it, this is something that's very admirable, you take up prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, those are important things. I just wanted to take a moment and say something. I'll probably, I might post something on the Telegram channel about it too, or, or have somebody say something. But it occurred to me that it's very good for us to fast and for us to adopt a practice of alms. But with anything that we recommend here at the Daily Decade, anything that I personally might recommend, I have re I realized that I have never prefaced any of that by saying that obviously you should always be speaking with your confessor about all of this. You should let him know that you listen to me and that you have heard you know, recommendations or uh, what have you from these different uh, circles that you're involved in, these different telegram channels you follow or uh, the podcasts that you listen to. And make sure that he's aware that you are thinking about adopting this new fast. Uh, now, by this point, of course, if it starts today, if you haven't done it already, and by the time you listen to this, it'll be even later in the day, you won't be able to do the fast. But if you're entertaining the notion of adopting something like that in the future, uh, it's incredibly important that we always speak with our confessors before we do something like that. Your confessor knows you in the same way that your doctor knows you in a way that is very specific to his relationship with you. Your doctor is a physician. He's there to heal you. He knows your medical history. He has an advanced knowledge, we hope, of, the, of medical practice in reference to your specific circumstance. And therefore, he can recommend dietary practices, exercise, certain medical regimens, medicines, that sort of thing, because he knows who you are, how your, your particular body works. You have a history of reactions to penicillin, you probably shouldn't get certain kinds of uh, antibiotics, that kind of thing. Uh, and the same thing is true of your confessor. He knows your spiritual medical history. And he knows what medicines will be helpful to you and what medicines won't be helpful to you. And we should think, while fasting is an incredibly important rule of the church, and we, we must follow the fasting rules as they're laid down, the function of those rules is, in many ways, a, a medicine. It's, it's there to heal, to help us in our discipline. 
And so your confessor, whenever you go beyond the rule of the church, your confessor should be aware because you might be taking on something you probably shouldn't. Or maybe it's something that augments something you're already doing and it could be beneficial for him to know that you're doing it. So always, always speak with your confessor, speak with a priest, if not your personal confessor, then some priest whom you trust and who has some knowledge of your prayer life, your spiritual life, to be able to recommend either pursuing or not pursuing uh, any kind of new fasting or new spiritual discipline. The, the same thing is true of if you're going to take on uh, a, a confraternity, join a confraternity, or be consecrated in some way, uh, the Brown Scapular, for example, or the Court of St. Thomas, or anything of that nature. It's always something that you should talk to a priest about before you do it, because without the guidance of the church, well, we might as well be Protestants. And that's Protestants operate in that way, but they are aware of the fact that they're Protestants, and they're okay with that. As Catholics, we should not be okay with anything that makes us behave like, think like, or believe like a Protestant, unless we want to be Protestants. The same thing is true of the Orthodox. Be careful to adopt Orthodox practices and Orthodox prayers and disciplines uh, if you don't want to become Orthodox. It's As a Catholic, if you're a member of the Roman Catholic Church, it's very important for you to guard and protect Catholic prayer life, Catholic spirituality, Catholic identity with the Holy Church and loyalty to the Holy Father. It's part of what our religion teaches us. Anyway, that's my rant, and I know I've gone very long, and I have to forgive me and offer me some indulgence on, on, that, uh, on that front. Uh, I'd like to pray for everybody who is taking on that discipline, uh, and, uh, and pray in a special way for the Chaldean Catholic Church. I know it's a little bit out of the ordinary to pray for a large body of people like that, but uh, it does look like the war machine is getting ready to get going again and that means that there's going to be a lot of trouble for the Christians in uh, Iraq and, and Iran and uh, Syria and a bunch of the other places over there and uh, because of the, su the ter terrible suffering that those people have already undergone uh, I think it's important for us to pray for their strength uh, that they if it is God's will for them to continue to be crowned with martyrdom that they accept that martyrdom as their cross and that they glorify God uh, and that they themselves find salvation in the persecution that they are that they may be about to undergo and that they're currently undergoing as well. So for the Chaldean Catholic Church as a whole, I'd like to offer a, a decade of the rosary today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, 
Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, weeping and mourning from this veil of tears. Turn then, O gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy unto us. And after this, our exile, shew unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. For all those facing struggle in the Near East. St. James, First Patriarch of Jerusalem, pray for us. 
St. George, pray for us. For all of us in battle and struggle. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And actually, another saint that we probably ought to have prayed to, I'm not going to dive back in again now, but uh, if you are praying for everyone in the Middle East, uh, and the Christians that are persecuted there, a good intercessor would be St. John Damascene, because he is probably the most uh, eloquent author on the dangers of the heresy that's at the heart of uh, Mohammedanism. And what the Muslims believe basically is a synthesis of a bunch of early heresies, starting with Arianism and then spreading out from there. So, and his treatment of that subject was uh, is incredibly interesting to read, and furthermore, it's very important to read. If I'm not mistaken, he is a doctor of the church. He's one of the early church fathers, at any rate, and he was also a staunch defender of the holy images at the time of the iconoclasm under the during the reign of uh, Leo the Isaurian, who was condemned by the popes, uh, and therefore he's very important in that regard as well look into him. He's certainly, if you haven't read him, he's definitely worth reading. Uh, St. John Damascene and uh, St. Ephraim the Syrian, both of them. Now, Ephraim, I know for a fact, is a doctor of the church. Uh, he's more recently given that title, so if you're uncomfortable with the uh, official statements and actions of the church since Vatican II, maybe Ephraim isn't a doctor in your eyes, but uh, formally speaking, from a strictly legal standpoint. He's considered a doctor of the church as well. And uh, I have to get it approved because I'm not 100% sure of it, but there is an absolutely exquisite collection of the hymns of St. Ephraim that has been collected into a psalter and divided up in the Eastern fashion. Uh, they have different... I think it's called Stichirion, uh, S-T-I-C-H-E-R-I-O-M. Uh, they are, uh, the way that their Psalter is divided up versus the Roman Breviary. Uh, if you're, I, I'm not 100% sure, it's something that I got as a gift some time ago, and I've never gotten it properly looked at and approved uh, for, uh, for regular discipline by a Catholic priest, so don't quote me on it, but there is, for just pure, purely spiritual edification, just for reading and reflection, uh, it's put out by the um, St. Job uh, Pochev uh, printers, which are up in Alaska, I think they're out of that in California. They are an Orthodox publishing house for Catholics that are listening. For Orthodox that are listening, you, you obviously don't have any problem with this at all. They're, and I think they're affiliated with Rome Corps, but I might be wrong about that. Anyway, it is absolutely an exquisite collection. It's called the Spiritual Psalter, and it was assembled in part by Theophan the Recluse, who was a bishop of Moscow, I think, who retired from his episcopacy 
and uh, went into uh, retirement and did all this writing. And he gathered all these things together and arranged them in Stacaria. But uh, it really is a wonderful collection of St. Ephraim's stuff. So it's worth looking into, and I'll get back to you as soon as I figure out whether or not such a thing is you know, approved within the, within the church, or if there might be an Eastern Catholic version of it. You know, the, uh, the Ruthenians in particular, the Ukrainians too, but the Ruthenians in particular are, are very careful to make sure that a lot of this Russian spirituality is filtered through an appropriate lens from Rome. Uh, so I may, I may go see if the Ruthenians haven't put something together that uh, employs the use of St. Ephraim's spiritual psalter. Uh, but I nevertheless encourage you to look it up just for personal interest, uh, pending <laughs> uh, further information. But that wasn't what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, instead, I, what I really wanted to talk about was something that I had on my mind over the weekend. And that is the role that my children have played my life, my spiritual life, and, and a reflection that sort of occurred to me upon thinking about who they are and uh, the, the place that they occupy in my spiritual life. Those of you who are parents, fathers in particular, because mothers have a unique bond with their children, there's something special there that's, that's uniquely maternal. But fathers have their own relationship with their children, which is natural. The father has a very specific job in regards to his children. There was a saying that I heard once that women raise children and uh, men raise adults. Because what a father prepares his children for is something slightly different than what a mother prepares her children for. We have to answer, St. John Chrysostom says, for the conduct of our wives and children when we stand before the throne of God. We have to answer for that. If we've been insufficiently uh, responsible for the spiritual well-being of our wives or the spiritual upbringing of our children, if we've been insufficiently attentive to the physical and the spiritual needs of our wives and children, of our families, we will answer for that. So we have a unique responsibility in that regard. And when it comes to mothers, women have their own responsibilities, but nothing quite so grave as a father's responsibilities. And so our relationship with our children as a means of our own salvation is already present there in our responsibilities. But there's something else, too, that's true about children and the role that they play in your life. Uh, I hate to do that thing that priests sometimes do, that new priests do, where they go and find some pop culture thing and they use that for a, a basis for their homily. Those homilies are always the least interesting. But since I'm not a homilist and I'm not uh, allow, uh, I don't have any preaching faculties, I suppose it would be okay for me and my reflection. I had read something on a, in a magazine, an online magazine, I guess it's not really a magazine per se, it's a, a journal, of, you know, it, it's one of those online publications called The American Sun, 
and it's uh, affiliated with, um, I think it's affiliated with the neo-reaction phenomenon. I had read on there uh, a piece that treated this new Disney film that just came out called Soul, and it's worth reading. It's really quite good, actually. It talks about how Disney's starting to make more entertainment for adults and less for children, what that actually means. And obviously, any God-fearing man that allows his children to watch anything that Disney's putting out these days is, has not sufficiently thought through the repercussions of that permission. But putting that aside for a moment, uh, this new film, the author of the critical review uh, in the American Sun talks about how the film is geared towards adults, and it's not geared towards children at all. The basis seems childlike, but all the humor is geared towards adults, and uh, everything in it appeals to this sort of lonely, godless 30-something that has become the pinnacle of human civilization in the eyes of our overlords. And it occurred to me, as I was reading it, that actually it seems to me what the problem is is not so much that the company has made a, a financial, a fiduciary decision that they're going to make more money if they market to these people that have been consuming Disney products since the 1990s, but rather the majority of people that work in this industry are childless. They have no frame of reference at all outside of their own as to what is entertaining. I know what my children find entertaining. I know what they find funny by, by nature, and a lot of it's not funny to me. It's absurd, silly, and actually rather annoying. But that's because I'm grown. But I know what my... I, even though I don't find it funny myself, I know what my children find funny. And it occurred to me, I had watched another film, oh, this is about two or three years ago, called Saving Mr. Banks, which is about the making of Mary Poppins. And this has caught a little bit of criticism as well for a, sort of appealing once again to this adult audience, making a children's film for adults and changing the way that Mary Poppins, which is a children's film, is perceived by adults. But in it, there's, and I don't know how accurate to history this actually is, but in it there's a scene where um, Walt Disney remarks on the reason why he wants to make Mary Poppins into a film, and that is because his children made him promise that he would do that, he, because they, they liked the Mary Poppins books so much that they wanted their father to bring this to life on the screen. And it occurred to me that, you know, a lot of the older Disney stuff is really effective. It's good, wholesome stuff. It's effective with children. It's entertaining. And putting aside whatever messages it may send, most of which in the, the early, early stuff, is actually very wholesome. Slaying of dragons and all that sort of thing. But it, it was successful with children because the people that were making it had children. And they knew what children loved. And they knew what children engaged with. And all of this sounds completely irrelevant to our Christian religion. I've, so I'm going to bring it around to what it was that got me thinking. Our Lord said that we should be converted and be as little children. And one of the most dangerous things that our 
culture that encourages childlessness and uh, celibacy without unchaste celibacy is what I'll call it is that we have no frame of reference to understand what our Lord actually meant when he said be converted and be as little children and another thing occurred to me that is that throughout the Middle Ages, our Blessed Lord and our Blessed Mother appeared in apparitions to various people, diverse and sundry, as, the, the, as it used to be said. Adults, all of them. St. Simon Stock, uh, the appearances to um, St. Mary Margaret Alacoque, St. Bridget of Sweden. These are all fully grown people. In the midst of the modern world, starting in the 1780s and 1770s, when revolutions started to kick off, and this whole awful Enlightenment nonsense really got its claws deep inside of our civilization, all of a sudden, adults stop seeing apparitions except for one case that I can think of and that's uh, that's Our Lady of Knock in Ireland and there our Blessed Mother said nothing there was nothing said it was just it was just an appearance there were 14 people there and uh, they just saw there was no no one spoke no one taught any prayers there was no message no secrets none of that they just saw Every other instance has been children. Uh, La Salette, Lourdes, obviously, Fatima, uh, all of the big ones have been children. You know, it just occurred to me that St. Catherine Labore is not a child, and she had an apparition in 1830. But the biggies, the real, the messages, promises, a lot, they're all children, you see. Well, why would children all of a sudden be the subjects of these graces? And it certainly got people questioning, too, because, of course, the good Catholics always question apparitions. And so St. Bernadette and, and, and Lucy and the, and the other children of, of Fatima, uh, all of them were questioned very harshly by their parents and, uh, and disciplined for, for telling lies about these apparitions. It really really tested people's belief, really tested their faith and their doubt that these children should be subject to these apparitions or be the receivers of these apparitions. Why children? Because we don't have a frame of reference or we're developing, we're losing this frame of reference over time as to what it is to be a child and what it is to think like a child, to receive faith like a child. How can we be converted and be as little children if we don't know how little children are? It's a really spectacular feat on the part of the devil to have done that to us, to have deprived us of the ability to think and see as children see. I was reading Bishop Fulton Sheen uh, today, actually, at uh, when I was eating lunch, about how that which loves seeks to become like that which it loves. Love seeks to become like that which it loves. 
God loving man becomes man to save him. We who love children, if we have children, and we love those children, we are inevitably drawn towards them, become a little bit more like them. And sometimes that's a bad thing, become childish. But really, there is a benefit, there is a spiritual need for us to become more childlike. To be drawn into the kind of wonder that children have. If you have children, have you ever watched them at Mass? Have you ever watched them in a, in a holy place? I, we went to uh, uh, Eastern churches quite a bit, and it was amazing the instinctual draw that my children had towards the icons and towards statuary too the stations of the cross two of my my two eldest children without ever having been taught to do it had this desire to, to for me to pick them up and lift them up to go see the station of the cross Christ crucified and it amazed me to watch my daughter who had never been taught to do this kiss the feet of Christ on that cross children do this by nature. That's not something I mean, I'm very proud of my daughter, but that's not something special about her specifically. A child exposed to holiness will naturally be drawn to that holiness. And we need to learn how to be drawn in that way. And my prayer, since I've gone a little long here, my prayer is that we will, through familiarity with our own children, be drawn to holiness and be drawn to God in the way that little children are so that we can more properly be converted and be as little children and that those of us without children maybe even some of us who are past the point where that's a possibility can nevertheless have those gates opened up unto us that children open up to their parents for a simpler faith that draws to God as if by instinct and allows him to fill our hearts in the way that children's hearts are filled with their parents and the parents' hearts are filled with their children. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.